Hey folks, Preet here. Big news. Hunter Biden has been indicted on three federal gun charges in a case brought by special counsel David Weiss. Meanwhile, House Republicans have launched an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden, with Speaker Kevin McCarthy accusing the president of engaging in a bribery scheme and other corruption in connection with Hunter Biden's business dealings. In other news, Trump has moved to recuse the judge overseeing his election interference federal case in D.C. While prosecutors asked the judge to impose a gag order, limiting Trump's ability to speak publicly about the case. Joyce Vance and I discuss all that and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing an excerpt from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So there's been this roller coaster ride with respect to a person who is related to the sitting president of the United States. You may have heard of him. Possibly. His name has come across. Hunter. <laughs> the Could it be Hunter Biden? Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden. To remind everyone, he'd been investigated for a period of time by the now special counsel, David Weiss, who is the U.S. attorney in Delaware. There was supposed to be a plea. The plea fell apart. Lots of debate about who's to blame for that. No meeting of the minds between the government and the defense lawyers. Hunter Biden has now been indicted on three federal gun charges. And it's important, as you and I were discussing, Joyce, to understand what he is charged with and what so far he is not charged with. So let me go through the counts and maybe you can explain why this is or is not significant. Count one charges Biden, Hunter Biden, of lying on an ATF form when he bought a gun by falsely swearing that he wasn't addicted to illegal drugs or using illegal drugs. Count two is related, accuses him of lying to a federally licensed gun dealer where he bought the gun, related to the same sworn statement that he wasn't addicted to illegal drugs or using illegal drugs. And count three accuses him of illegally possessing the gun while using drugs or being addicted to drugs, which is a federal crime. What's missing? I don't know. Well, I think there was a tax charge the first time around. Oh, a tax charge. And and that goes straight to the heart of the matter, right? This is part of what Hunter Biden's lawyers will argue here, because originally he was not indicted, but he was going to plead guilty to an information on the tax charges. This conduct here that he's charged with, the gun conduct, was the subject of what they characterize as a separate agreement, a pretrial diversion agreement that should not have been impacted when the plea deal fell apart. It's really interesting. We have not seen tax charges. I, I heard some rumors last week that there would be an indictment, but have not seen one surface yet. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason there may not be tax charges yet is that the proper venue for a tax charge is not Delaware. Possible. Otherwise, why not bring the tax charge at the same time as the gun charges. That's right. It's California. And it could be something as simple as just a matter of getting availability, getting time on the grand jury out there that would need to indict, presenting the information to them. But it does seem a little bit odd that this wasn't all concluded in one package. There's a little bit of statute of limitations pressure on the gun charges. I think um, that the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware has conceded that the statute of limitation would run in October. So they may have wanted to go ahead and get this one done. How serious are these charges? These can be very serious charges, 
based on the facts. And they are serious in that they carry prospect of a lot of time in custody. Count one carries five years. Count two is a 10-year penalty. I, I would call those first two charges, at least in my office, we called it lying and buying. Usually you saw that happen in a case where you had someone who could not legally purchase a firearm. So they had a straw purchaser, a girlfriend, a mom, somebody that they paid to buy the gun for them so that they didn't subject themselves to the penalty that Hunter Biden faces here. And most frequently, that charge would be brought, I'm going to say in my office exclusively, that kind of a charge was brought when you had someone who was either obtaining the firearms to traffic them elsewhere. Alabama is a source state. People get guns here and sell them in other states where it's less easy to purchase them. Or if you had somebody who was involved in violence, a gang member, somebody who used the gun in a crime, somebody who used the gun to threaten someone in a domestic violence incident. In a case like this, I think it would be uh, safe to say that we would have exercised our prosecutorial discretion not to indict. And I had an interesting conversation, Preet, with our Delaware colleague, the Delaware U.S. attorney during the Obama administration, Charlie Oberly. And Charlie said the same thing, that in a case like this, 11 days, not a violent offender, no criminal history, he would have given him a stern talking to possibly pretrial diversion, but would not have indicted. Yeah. So then the question arises, why do this in this kind of heavy handed way? And the speculation is, well, once the plea deal blew up, and you had all this pressure from Republicans in particular on the U.S. attorney, now the special counsel on the matter, for being soft, accusing him of being soft. You have to look strong. Do you think there's any merit to that argument or is that unfair? I hope that there is not, but I fear that there is. This is the kind of a case where after the plea deal blows up, you sit down with the folks in your office and you have a serious conversation about the merit in your charges. What worries me here is that I think the case is overcharged. You know, we have the gun possession charge. User in possession is something that is not frequently charged unless there are some sort of accelerating circumstances, simply because there are a lot of people who use drugs in this country who also purchase firearms and and do the same thing that Hunter Biden did. And to prosecute every single one of them um, would frankly take up too much of the department's resources. So people have developed standards over time about when it's appropriate to bring this charge. A real problem, though, post-Bruin, the Supreme Court gun case from last term, Bruin says it sets up a standard that says, unless at the time of the founding of the country, there was this particular restriction on gun possession, then we can't enforce it now. And so the Fifth Circuit has now issued a ruling in a case where they've said that this user in possession charge is unconstitutional post-Bruin. So there's been some criticism. And when you look at this indictment, which has both the possession charge and then the two lying and buying counts, you have to begin to wonder if lying and buying, which is usually reserved for very serious crimes, wasn't added on here to try to outrun that constitutional argument. Of course, if that's why they added it, I think that there's an additional problem anyhow, in that those lies that Biden made when he purchased the gun may no longer be material based on the Bruin case. Yeah, I think this this particular statute and this subsection of the statute is in, is in real trouble because of Bruin and people can have disputes and we have 
about whether Bruin was well decided or correctly decided, but now that it has been, it's the law of the land. And the standard that you articulated is the one that's binding on all the other courts in the country. And as you point out, the Fifth Circuit ruled in a particular way. Let me just read a bit from the opinion. Quote, in short, our history and tradition may support some limits on an intoxicated person's right to carry a weapon, but it does not justify disarming a sober citizen based exclusively on his past drug usage. Goes on to say, nor do more generalized traditions of disarming dangerous persons support this restriction on nonviolent drug users. Now that's the Fifth Circuit. How do you think it'll play out in the Supreme Court? Probably very similarly, right? I mean, I think that that's a good question, right? What does Sam Alito do when he has to choose between Hunter Biden and the Second Amendment? I think he probably chooses the Second Amendment. There, There is an argument, right? Delaware's in the Third Circuit. This is not binding law in Delaware. It's perhaps appropriate for the U.S. attorney to bring this charge. My practice, and I'd be interested to know what yours was, was we watched these sorts of trends in front of the Supreme Court. And so one place where we watched that very carefully was in public corruption cases and the sorts of conduct that the Supreme Court, you know, there was this long trajectory of the court narrowing the scope of what we could successfully charge as the government for public corruption down to the point where it had to be an actual bribe. We tried to not indict cases, only to see them reversed on appeal. So we looked for additional charges. I think that's probably what happened here. Or thought from time to time about not indicting a case when it was clear that the Supreme Court would just reverse. I think it's useful to pause on this constitutional question for a moment. So we keep talking about this statute. It's 922G, and there are various subsections, one of which precludes you from having a gun, possessing a gun or a firearm. If you're using drugs or addicted to drugs, another deals with whether or not you have a restraining order against you. But the one that was most commonly charged, in my office at least, and I assume in yours, and it was charged all the time, was for being a a prior convicted felon in possession of a firearm. So if you have a felony conviction at any time in your life, federal, state, doesn't matter, and you're found to be in possession of a firearm, not just a firearm, ammunition. A single piece of ammunition will ring the bell on this statute. Yeah. Yeah. That's a crime, and it's pretty readily provable if the possession is clear. And that's a statute that was used a lot, sometimes against people who are in violent gangs, where the gang crime was maybe difficult to prove, but being a felon in possession of a firearm was much easier to prove and carried pretty stiff penalties. So we use that statute, enforce that statute, particularly to stem violence in New York City and the places around New York City. But if you believe, as many people do, and as the Second Amendment has been interpreted to say, that it is a, it is a deeply embedded traditional constitutional right to be able to keep and bear a firearm, once you've been convicted of a felony, and you served your time, and you finish your probation or your supervised release or parole or whatever the case may be, and you're a fully reconstituted citizen in the United States, this law comes up against the idea that you have had a constitutional right stripped away from you for all time. And it's not crazy to say, I'm going to get a lot of mail about this, but to be internally consistent, and I have, I think, a particularly progressive view on on guns and on gun regulation, But if you live in a country where that right is treated the way it is treated here, and you've done your time and you've paid your dues, what is the argument that you get stripped of your gun rights for the rest of your life? 
So I I think the argument that you've just made shows how deeply flawed the analysis in Bruin was, this insistence that the Constitution could not be a living document designed to protect the lives of Americans. And we'll see it happen, by the way, in the term that's about to start with the Supreme Court in a case called Rahimi, which challenges a different part of this statute, 922G. It challenges the part that a applies to people who are domestic violence offenders and people who have restraining orders against them. And Mr. Rahimi, who engaged in really dangerous conduct towards women in his life, challenges his conviction under the provision of 922G that would restrict him as a domestic violence offender from possessing a firearm. That, I think, is a moment where the court is going to have to confront this conflict, because as you say, if you buy the analysis in Bruin, then it's very difficult to use these laws. And by the way, not just in your district and my district is this important. I went back and read the most recent Sentencing Commission report, the commission that consists of judges and and lawyers and DOJ officials that looks over the way sentencing is imposed under the sentencing guidelines. And they make the point that virtually all prosecutions under 922G are for felons in possession. And that the provision is designed just as you say. In essence, it gives local law enforcement some breathing space to try to stem a rising tide of violence. And that's not just a problem in places like New York City. In my time as a U.S. attorney, we had serious problems in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, not a place that you think of as a hotbed of violent crime. But there were some gang issues in 2010 and early 2011. And the use of the 922G statute to get some of the most violent people out of the community was very helpful to our state and local partners. There's another aspect of this case that's sort of interesting. So we mentioned at the outset, as we always do, that there was this scuttled plea proceeding that went south. And so the U.S. Attorney Special Counsel felt he had no choice but to indict. But I guess Hunter Biden's lawyer, one of his lawyers, Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Mm-hmm.